Good morning and welcome to Recipe for Success. We are experiencing some technical difficulties this morning, so I want to welcome you to my podcast this morning. My scheduled guest is Kathy Sikorsky. She is an elder care attorney and she specializes in elder care law as well as caring for the caregiver. Not only does she have over 30 years in the elder care field, she is an accomplished author. She is a, oh my goodness, and we've got Kathy. So let us, let's bring her in. It was a little touch and go there for a minute, but here she <laughs> is. So um, just going to finish the introductions. So again, just to um, welcome you all to the show. For anybody joining for the very first time, Recipe for Success was born of my love of cooking because I always noticed that there was a common theme to every successful recipe. There was always a critical ingredient or technique that um, dictated the outcome. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that was true in basically all areas of life. So I love talking to people in various industries and finding out what their key ingredients or techniques are. So again, I'd like to welcome Kathy Sikorsky. And I know Kathy is having a few technical difficulties this morning, but- Do my um, best. <laughs> yeah, we are going to try to pull this off. And in the event that it does not work, we will reschedule it for another day, but we're here, we're trying, we'll see what happens. That's all we can do in life, right? Right. Kathy, Kathy um, welcome to the show and please um, introduce yourself and tell people a little bit about yourself. Hi everyone, my deepest apologies, but thank God there's a billion different ways to get into a computer these days. Um, I am an elder lawyer by trade. I live in, in uh, Pennsylvania near the Philadelphia area, but for the last, oh, I don't know, eight or 10 years, I've been spent my time writing books and educating mostly women about the pitfalls, both financial and legal in the uh, caregiving and long-term care space, like telling people, this is what you need to do. You got to have a plan. And how can we do that together to help you have a plan and not be freaked out when a crisis occurs? So uh, not only are you an elder care attorney, you are, as I mentioned, you're a very accomplished speaker. You're a writer. I kind of feel like I'm in the presence of a celebrity. You look fabulous <laughs> in all of your red this morning. Um, I resisted the urge to wear my red because it's my favorite color on camera. I just feel like it feels vibrant and um, cheerful. But uh, tell, tell us a little bit about how you go from being an elder care attorney to writing your first book, which was had a little bit of a humorous bent to it as well. So my first book had nothing to do with being an attorney. It was a it's a memoir about when my 92 year old grandmother came to live with me. And at the time I had a two year old and a husband. I still have the husband. The two year old grew up. <laughs> Thank goodness, right? <laughs> and a dog who didn't hasn't made it that long, but it was it was just a crazy time. I had a 92-year-old and a two-year-old at the same time, and I kept a diary at that time. And honestly, Nancy, that was just for sanity. I just thought if I write this stuff down, maybe I won't make myself so insane. And then years and years and years later, I decided to turn it into a book because what that really did was inform my choice as an elder lawyer. I was a simple general practice attorney in a small town in Pennsylvania. And I recognized, wow, this is a whole area of law that is surrounded in, in caregiving. And so that informed my second book um, uh, called Who Moved My Tea? <laughs> because quite frankly, I was stealing Who Moved My Cheese. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, 
So I'm a little bit of a stalker whenever I invite somebody on my show. I like to find out as much about them as I can to get a sense of who they are and what they do. Um, and one of the things I visited your website, which is where your blog is, and I'm not going to tell people when the last blog post was from. I know. But I, but I know um, and you know, so we'll leave it at that. But the interesting thing to me about that post was the topic was resilience. And I thought it was so timely, even though time has passed, but it was so timely because my last guest, Rachel, Rachel Druckenmiller, that was exactly what we were talking about was resilience. So I'd love to know your take on it and why you think it's so important, not only in caregiving, but in general. What's interesting, yeah, I'll tell, could tell everyone that post is about two years old and it and it, di it didn't die, but my, my blog stopped when COVID started, right? Um, my blog is called You Just Have to Laugh, where caregiving is comedy. And honestly, for a while, even though I am all about humor, it was tough to wrap your mind around humor and what was going on. But I, I got to, and this speaks to your question, believe it or not, about resilience. I got to the point, as did everyone, is that we sort of had to, you know, create our new world. And I spent that time, fortunately, writing my next book, um, which just came out uh, two weeks ago, last week. Um, so, and I haven't yet returned to the blog. Um, and that is not a comment on my resilience. <laughs> that is a comment on my refocusing and being and giving myself permission to decide where I want to spend my energies, right? Um, and I'm sure Rachel and you talked about that very thing in resilience, um, getting back up, especially in the caregiving world, right? Especially in the long-term care world is, oh, I mean, it's almost an everyday occurrence if, if you're caregiving for someone on a daily basis, but getting back up and then finally learning what do I really have to do to concentrate my energies on making a good day for me and for everyone around me? And that may be putting aside some things that you thought you had to do on a regular basis. And that circles back to my blog, um, which is fine. My blog has, I think, on, you know, 200 or more entries. Oh, God, maybe 400. Um, and there's lots of good stuff in there. Uh, and I'm not, I'm totally proud of that fact, but I'm putting myself out there in a lot of other different ways at this time. So, yeah. Well, I, th I think you bring up a really good point about resilience because it's not just about slogging through. It is about finding the best ways that we can do the things that we need to do and not just necessarily every single thing. And, and let's then move to the next thing, which is what do we want to do and what are we going to give ourselves permission to not do so that we can maintain our resilience to get back to those things that we have to do, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, so in a full transparency, um, I also have a blog that has since seriously neglected for, I don't think I've made a new post in probably three years. Um, it was a cooking blog and I, I put a, had a lot of joy and fulfillment out of it when I was actively participating in it. But as you know, when life starts to get in the way, I just had to choose. And as much as I enjoyed it, it was becoming a chore and it was becoming an obligation that was not fulfilling. I keep it active because 
someday I'll probably go back to it and pick it back up. And there's some really great recipes on there that I don't want to let go. So exactly. I, yeah. Right. So, at some, so at some point I will, I will revisit it, but I think that that is a really great point is just because we've done something doesn't need, mean that we necessarily need to keep doing it or we it's, or that it's not okay to take a break from it. And, and not throw it away. Right. You don't have to throw it away. You know, my husband thinks I'm a hoarder, but not not in the worst possible <laughs> sense. But, you know, things come back, Nancy, and, and are useful again. Yes. My uh, two-year-old granddaughter is on her way here to visit. And I got a lot of toys from her mom <laughs> that I never got rid of. <laughs> a few of those in the attic, too. <laughs> um, okay, so... I know, obviously, elder care is your area of expertise, but one of the things that you've kind of shifted your focus on, and I think this is so timely, especially given the pandemic, is caring for the caregiver. Let's talk about that for a minute. Caregivers don't actually like this conversation. They they get very, um, it's a tender wound, let's say because they feel frustrated about saying, you need to take care of yourself. You need to do stuff for yourself. And they're, how am I supposed to do that? You know, I'm taking care of my kids. I'm trying to earn money. I'm taking care of my mom or my dad. Um, it's, it, it's a painful conversation. Everybody thinks it's a, especially if you haven't been a caregiver yet, or you've sort of, you know, gone past it or through it, they think it's enlightening and kind to say, go get yourself a massage or, or, you know, be with your friends or whatever. But what they don't understand is that it can also create a pressure, right? Oh, now I'm supposed to take care of myself because if I don't, then I can't take care of others. Like I'm doing this all wrong all the time. Um, what I would like to say about that is, first of all, we should learn to take the advice sometimes in the spirit that it's given which is, I see that you need help. We should turn the conversation to the person who is saying that and say, I see that you see that I need help and this is how you can help me and be very specific about that, right? Because that's a caring for the caregiver moment. Um, I see that you want to care for me and I see that I want to care for myself. This is how you can help me. And it almost always turns on asking for help. We are such independent, mission-driven people who are caregivers, and we rarely ask for help in the way and the time that we need it. So that's really the bottom line. Why do you think that we're like that? Because I feel like you're just talking about me right now. <laughs> I am talking about you right to your face. <laughs> I know. It's, I just want to know, what, what is it that prevents me and anybody else that is listening from asking for the help that we actually need. Well, you know, this comes from personal experience, right? I, I am the classic middle child. I have to do everything. I have to do it better. I have to, you know, show everyone I can do it kind of a thing. Um, I, I Because we're achievers. You know, I would say generally caregivers are the person, you go, people go to caregivers because they're the ones who are achieving things. They're getting things done. They're making the appointments, making sure mom is okay. You know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but that works against us because we are not the ones who ask for help. We're the helpers. Why would we ask for help? We're the ones who can fix it. And we also have this syndrome that we think we're the only ones who can do it. Nobody uh, else is going to do it the right way. A hundred percent. So you'll get a kick out of this, Kathy, because this comment, no kidding, Nancy, that's my mother. <laughs> <laughs> no so, kidding. Right. So exactly. It, she, she definitely knows. Um, and it is 
I also really enjoyed the point you made about when when people say, oh, you need to take care of yourself and you need to do this. It feels stressful to me when people say that. Right. Because again, it's it's that when am I supposed to fit that in? Because I'm already so completely overwhelmed and I don't want to let any of the balls drop. Right. Um, and so learning how to say, here, you can have one of my balls. Um, <laughs> that is a skill set that I think we need as a society to address. Yes, exactly. Share the wealth, as my nanny used to say. But of course, we don't think of it as the wealth. We think of it as the burden. But you know what? Here's another thing I'd like to say about that. When you don't allow people who love your loved one to to help, you are taking away from them the opportunity to be in their space, to care for them, and to have that joy and that love moment of giving them something that they need. You are taking that away from them because you refuse to share, right? Right. And you've got to understand that when you allow your brother, your sister, your uncle, your cousin, or your friend to come take your mom to the doctor or bring her a cup of tea or sit with her for an hour, you are giving them one of the biggest gifts they'll ever have. I appreciate that. Um, So my mom asked, um, is learning to say no an option? Yes, an option. It's a necessity. I just did that yesterday. Just yesterday, somebody asked me to do something that I'm willing to do eventually, but they wanted it by Monday. And I said, no, I'm doing a podcast tomorrow. I'm doing a conference next week. My husband's having surgery. And there was a time, Nancy, when I would have done that. I would have tried to, my daughter, my granddaughter's coming to visit for the weekend. And I would have tried to, you know, stayed up, what, till 11, 12, 1, 2 in the morning writing an article. No, I'm not doing that. No, yeah. I'm done. Yeah. Um, okay. So you kind of, you kind of addressed it, but I'm going to ask this question again anyway, because I, when I wrote it down, I had a specific way that I wanted to, wanted it to, to, to ask it. And I think it is the toll on the caregiver that is often silent and unnoticed. And then it breed, it can breed resentment um, and it can be detrimental to that person's own health. And, and also let me just, for the audience, let me just clarify by caregiver. I don't mean that you're necessarily caring for a 92 year old grandmother. It can be caring for multiple family members going through trauma as a result of the pandemic, it could be caring for your children while you're trying to do other things. It is a very broad term. And I think that we need to understand better what it means to be a caregiver and how we recognize and support people in those various caregiving roles. So sorry for that little side note. I love that commercial, you know, that caregiving, it, it is expanded across the entire gamut of just that you have to put your time, mostly your unpaid time, because we're talking about unpaid caregivers. um, You put your unpaid time into the world for somebody else, not for you. Right. That's what it is. Right. Which is why a lot of people don't self-identify. And, you know, that's a whole other, other conversation as well. And Nancy, with that, I forgot what the question was. (laughs) That's all right. It was my fault. So I was talking about the toll it can take on the caregiver um, because I do believe it can affect that person's health. It can affect their mental well-being and it can breed resentment. 
And that's what I wanted to say. You know, there's some crazy stat that like something like 25% of caregivers die before the person that they're caring for. Oh my goodness. Are you kidding? Yeah, I mean, it's a big number. It's a big number. And it's because the stress is too much, right? And I'm going to put a plug in here for a nonprofit that I'm on the board of called Weirdly Nancy's House. That's a great name. (laughs) Nancy's House, because it was dedicated to a a wonderful caregiver, uh, and um, it we provide respite care weekends for caregivers, oh, and it's wonderful. an amazing thing, and it's wonderful. But our biggest challenge, other than of course money, because that's nonprofit, everybody's nonprofit challenge, is getting caregivers to come. I can see that getting them to say, "I deserve a weekend at a bed and breakfast where I get to rest, I get to have counseling, I get to have yoga, I get to have right gourmet food," and then they don't come. It's the craziest thing to me, um, but but the other side of the caregiver side of me totally gets that because I've been a caregiver for eight different family members and friends over the last thirty years. I get again that you know I'm the go-to person, um, but what I would say to the people who are listening to this is if you know a caregiver and you self are not one or you've done your you know your job and you're kind of on a break, try to help them. Offer a real solution. Like I heard about Nancy's house. Maybe we could get you there for the weekend or maybe I could just, you know, give you a half a day off. The fact that we need other people stepping in to recognize that caregivers burn out, caregivers get sick, get tired, get resentful, start fights with other family members who don't help. Right. Yeah. Just it's, it's huge. And it's all because of the stress of taking care of someone else. It's hard. It really is. Um, uh, again, I, I I don't always read off my notes, but the last two weeks I've had really fabulous guests, you of course being one of them. And I really wanted to, there was a couple of things I really wanted to to bring up. And so, I, uh, again, this hits very close to home. And in some ways I feel like you're talking straight at me, but um, my father passed away earlier this year mm-hmm. and um, I'm helping his wife through the estate um, challenges. My mom, who is lovely and is on the on the call today, has had some health challenges, um, more related to aging. I mean, she's overall in good health, but I mean, just a lot of stuff that needs to be dealt with and helped through. Um, I own a business. I have helped other family members and friends through these things. And um, again, I go back to that. I know for a fact, I'm a smart person. I know for a fact how important self-care is and I'm having a hard time keeping consistent with providing that self-care to myself Um, because I take a moment and then I feel like things pile up again and it's like, oh, I don't have time to do that. Hmm. So how do you work through that? How do you keep that in the top of your head that it is important that you take care of yourself because I know it affects me. Uh, we were on a we were on a call a couple um, weeks ago, and and just to top it off, in my particular industry, fourth quarter as we call it, eighty um, percent of my business renews. So I am literally running around like a chicken with my head cut off half the time. And then I've got these other things on top of it. But um, I find myself having a hard time maintaining my exercise routine, which has always been super important to me. And um, we were talking, uh, had an industry conversation with some other girlfriends, and we identified it as, quote unquote, stress mono. You feel like you're sick, but you know exactly what it's coming from. I would like to stop doing that to myself. So I would say the 
first thing that I started doing on a on a on a bigger scale for for this very reason is I really decided what looks like it's on my plate but I can put aside for two weeks. What can I really not look at for two weeks? So if it's somebody asking me to do something, if it's emails coming in from somebody that I want to work with, I literally just shift them on my calendar out two weeks or three weeks, you know, and I may or may not even tell them because is that important? Does it matter? Because even telling them is stressful, right? I got to answer this email now, right? That kind of a thing. Um, we have we have all fallen prey to the fact that we have this technology and we think it requires instantaneous response. I say, stop that. It does not require instantaneous response. Nobody's making you do that. And if you talk to somebody three weeks later on, you know, saying, I would like to chat with you sometime and that's where it sits, then they'll still be there three weeks later. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely they're right. not going anywhere. So I, I when I'm right now, I just told you I'm also in a crunch right now. October to the end of November is going to be pretty well, the middle of November is pretty tough for me right now. So I am pushing things out. I am just literally moving them out on my calendar. If it comes in and I don't have the time to deal with it, I move it out. Right. I like that suggestion. Um, as it, for me in particular, I'm a calendar person. I mean, my live by my calendar. So um, pushing things out and putting it on a date when I don't have to look at it for a couple of weeks is yeah. a terrific idea. And, and I the, think, yeah. The other thing is, is putting things on that I refuse to move because they are my self care, like my exercise, right? Um, I'm, I do at least two days a week with a trainer. Um, and you know, it's pretty much set in stone what those days are and what those times are. Once in a little while, I will move it if I just, you know, it's an event or something that I can't help. But then I move it to another day or time in that calendar. Um, that's only two times a week. The rest of the time I exercise on my own, I walk or whatever. And I, and I, that might slip by, but, but even just having twice a week for me to do that is fulfilling, right? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and I, again, can use myself as a personal example. Last week, I had my time blocked out for my workouts. I stuck to them because they were a commitment I had made to myself. This week, I didn't put them on my calendar. And it's Thursday. And I'm like, holy cow, I have not worked out this week. And I feel it. And so that's just it. I guess what we're saying is a better use of your calendar, right? Mm -hmm. Use your calendar to put things in, but use your calendar to take things out. People yeah, don't it. do that. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. Um, I want to go back to how, how we as employers as well, I'm in the employee benefits industry, as you know, as we talked about before. And I talk to employers all the time and they're, you know, we hear it all the time about, oh, people aren't present. They're not giving it all. Most employers don't really know what's going on in people's home lives and whether they are, as you call them, unpaid caregivers. And they don't understand the impact it has on their quality of work, their enjoyment of their work. Well, what can we do as employers to better support people in those roles? So, you know, this is my jam for 2022. I am embracing this in a big way because, of course, you, you've seen all the, the media about the great resignation, oh, about yeah. 
four to five million women have lost their jobs or not, not lost them technically walked away because they could not do what they needed to do both as caregivers and as working people. Right. Um, and so there is a push right now. And, and actually the government is even stepping up, not so much with paid family leave, but what will, you know, one step at a time, but they are putting in caregiving, um, elder care caregiving expenses. It looks like we might be getting some some funding there. So the point being really that there's a shift in recognizing that this is happening. I would like to believe, and, and honestly, you might know this better than me, but I do firmly believe that employers don't want to lose all their good female employees. I just don't believe that. They, they want the people they've trained. They want the people they trust, right? And so what can we do to help employers keep caregivers, quote, unpaid caregivers, and also keep good employees and have good employees and feel like they're they're maintaining good employees. And you and I have talked about the fact that there's a myriad of benefits that go untouched and unused. That's number one. Look at your benefits. What do you have? There are things like even just legal benefits. So people have the documents that they need to be a caregiver, right? There's some adult daycare, which is equivalent to, to regular daycare. Right. So people aren't using that, right? There is, you know, everybody knows about FMLA, but maybe there's some people have uh, shared um, leave so that like I could give you my leave because I know right. I'm not going to use it this year. It's it's so I know that you're struggling with your mom right now. Take three days of my vacation time, Nancy. Right. Um, there's lots of things that are already in place that are going on you. So that's number one. Look at it and restructure it and maybe even talk to people like Nancy and Kathy who can show you how to use that in a beneficial way for both you and your employees. And then there are new things coming up every day. There are what they call volunteer benefits that you can provide to your employees that they can pay for themselves, like long-term care insurance, even for their parents, right? Uh -huh. so yep. Maybe they know that that's going to happen, you know, or maybe they see that there's some early onset Alzheimer's in there. In that, so something's going to happen to change their lives. Um, that's, so those are the two things. You have stuff and there is stuff that you don't know about as an employer and you need to get people like us to educate you, to help you bring it to the workplace so that you can keep these good employees. And I say retain, not retrain. Yeah. You know, that's such an, uh, an amazing point because um, again, because employee benefits is my industry and I've been doing it for uh, a minute or two. Um, and I see employers spend money on benefits that are nice, but they're, they're not, if you were to measure them, they're not really meaningful mm. where they could take those dollars and allocate them in a way that would be, provide meaningful benefits to an employee's life mm. and allow them to be more productive. Um, and I'm not picking on vision insurance because I have uh, glasses and I sell it, but as an example, the average vision policy is between six and $8 a month per employee per month, whether they use it or not. It's just for an employee only. You can do a lot with six to $8 a month, whether it be an enhanced employee assistance program that it provides those additional, those additional support and resources to people because our workforce is not getting younger. Our workforce is getting older because people are working longer. The social security normal retirement age has 
been pushed back. And as a result, we don't look at age 65 as the mark, you know, the line in the sand where we hang our coat up and walk out the door. Right. People don't necessarily have a set retirement age. And because of that, with aging parents, sometimes young children or grandchildren that they're caring for, there's just so many um there's just variables so, yeah, yeah variables and things pulling at their time and their attention and their and you know their mental capacity exactly but but there's lots of solutions that are in place and not being used which is mm -hmm. crazy um uh, because we're just not looking at it in the right way and i will say covid certainly opened the door to that right all of a sudden everybody's working from home all of a sudden people need flex time i mean there was no way around it and and i say embrace these new things and use them for the betterment of your company as well as for your employees. And working from home can be a double a double-edged sword though, especially for a caregiver because there's no respite. Yeah. Um so sometimes so some caregivers getting outside of the home and being in a, a workplace environment was the was a break. If and they now, Im yeah. imagine that they have a home care benefit, right? Mm -hmm. That somebody can come in for four hours while they go to the office. Everybody's right. happy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think that's um, awesome. All right. So let's talk about, let's, let's laugh for a minute. We got into all the good, all the hard stuff. <laughs> I think one of the reasons that your message comes across so well is that you um, definitely deliver it with a good dose of humor. When did you start incorporating that into your communication style and really embracing that? Because um, I mean, it's it's all through everything you do, and it's it makes it so enjoyable, I think. I just grew up that way. I mean, my grandmother who came to live with me, I, I grew up with her. You know, my dad sadly died when we were very little. He was a helicopter pilot. He died in a helicopter crash in the Army. And my mom had five kids and was pregnant with her six. And we all moved in with my Nana into this little teeny tiny house. So I guess that's where you get a sense of humor. Yeah, you, would, you would definitely get a sense of humor. <laughs> One bathroom. <laughs> And a bunch of people. Um, so what's funny about your question is when I started this, e even my memoir, I was told pretty distinctly from a lot of people, especially in the writing community, you can't write about this in a funny way. It's disrespectful. It makes fun of people who are, are old. And I'm like, no, that is not true at all. And my goodness, if you don't see the humor in this situation and what you're doing, you probably better get some help because laughing is what actually keeps most of us caregivers going, right? When we can see the humor in what what's happening around us. Because um, some of it's funny. It's, I mean, it's, just, it's just no two ways around it. It's funny. And every time I go to speak or at an event, people come up to me and tell me their funny stories. And a lady just told me one just the other day. I did my first live event. It was so exciting. She said, you can use this. She said, I took my mom, who was 93, out to lunch. And she had quite a, a dementia at that time. But, you know, we could still go out. And she said, her name was also Nancy. Can you believe the story? She said, Nancy, I want to pay for lunch. And she said, okay, mom, you can pay for lunch. She opens up her little change purse and hands her daughter a quarter. And her daughter says, thanks, mom. That's really sweet. Hilarious. <laughs> she really was paying for lunch. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you know, it is, it is funny. And I, I think, um, I think that a hard message delivered with um, a sense of humor is much more palatable. Yeah, exactly. I mean, not only is it funny, but to understand it in a way that 
gives you a little bit of a smile and some comfort and you know it's not tragedy it's just as you said hard is an easier way to swallow the pill and keep going yeah yeah i like that okay so what's one piece of advice that you can give to anybody who's recently found themselves probably for the first time in a position of caregiving what's their one tip that you would tell everybody blanket statement I mean, I, I really struggle with this because my first response is always from my legal background is that you've got to make sure you're prepared, right? Make sure you have all your documents in order, that power of attorney that you need to make sure you can do things for your adult relative. Um, that living will is a good thing to have, the healthcare power of attorney, just so that you can be in charge without anybody giving you a hard time. Get your legal documents and quite frankly, get them all, get them today. Yeah, I, I, I second that 100%. Having Thanks. walked that path with a couple of people, I know exactly how important that is. So thank you for bringing that up. Okay, any other uh, little pieces of advice before we move on to the kind of the fun? I mean, just quickly, as you and I just said, you know, there's so many funny and fun stories. Just share them because honestly, you're making someone else's day better as well. It, it gives you a laugh. It, it helps take the heat off of you. And then you give someone else a little bit of joy. So share the funny. Just share it. Um, one question that just popped into my head. Um, what about support groups? Are, are mm -hmm. there good support groups for caregivers? There are tons. There's so much online that's wonderful and, and really helpful. And the beauty, of course, of the Internet is you don't have to leave your house because that's the tough thing for caregivers. Sure. Many of them are time limited by their job, by their by their families, by their their actual caregiving. So, yes, there's there's um, lots and lots of wonderful websites. I mean, even things like the Alzheimer's Association has their own website where they have a care. You know, so it's specific to your disease, for, for want of a better word. There's a wonderful one woman named Tipa Snow, T-E-E-P-A, Tipa, last name Snow, like Snow, um, who every morning on Facebook and every afternoon does a quick little uh, dementia sort of a, a, a support group kind of a thing. It's meant for you, the caregiver. It's not meant for professionals. Sure. So there's lots and lots of resources out there. That's the beauty of this now. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was thinking about that as you were, as you were speaking and and quite likely, um, there's a lot of good caregiver support groups on Facebook um, yes. for, you know, you can tailor it to your specific situation, but I would have to imagine there's a lot of good resources. Yes. Okay, so time to move on to the five burning questions. Are <laughs> you ready? I think so. I kind of struggled. <laughs> okay, uh, every, every show starts with this one because it of course ties into my love of cooking, but what is your absolute favorite food in the world and can you cook it? I am such a foodie. I love all food except salmon. I despise salmon. Everybody I've who knows me knows that. I just don't like it. I'm sorry. Don't try and give me a good recipe that's going to make me love it. I don't love it and I won't ever love it. However, that being said, everything else I love and I can't pick a favorite food, but when I... When you told me you were going to ask this question, I thought, well, what did I really, really love as a kid? And we could ask for one thing for dinner on our birthday because my mom had six kids, right? We could pick our birthday meal. And I always, always, always picked roast beef because we didn't get that very much. And one thing I do make is a killer prime rib. Mm. Um, and I'll even give you the secret. You, okay. You make us get a standing rib roast. You cover it in garlic pepper garlic pepper. pepper pat it all over with garlic pepper you stick it in the oven at 500 you immediately turn it down to like 
275, 300, and you let it cook how long you want until it's, you know, you like it rare, medium rare, but that's the secret right there. And it never fails. Well, on my, on my to-do list that I've actually pushed out a year, taking your advice, I've actually done this before, but at some point I'm going to go back through all of these podcasts and I'm going to make a book out of it. And at the end of everybody's chapter is their favorite recipe. So now, now we know the, the prime rib recipe. It's delicious. Okay. So what is the one character trait you admire most in other people and why? I know you're not going to be surprised by this, but of course it's your sense of humor. <laughs> Please have a sense. If you don't have a sense of humor, I really struggle to connect with you. <laughs> um, I've always joke. I've been married for 35 years and um, I always say a successful marriage cannot last without a good, strong sense of humor. <laughs> So true. So, so true. Although a relationship, and I'm sure your mom will agree, a rela- mother-daughter relationship also needs a very good sense of humor. It does. It does. And we've always had some good laughs. Um, okay. So if I were to flip the um, mirror on you and ask, what's the character trait you're most proud of about in yourself? What is it and why? I, I'm very lucky that I learn things very quickly. I, I am. I can pretty much learn something fast. And that helps me a lot. The problem is, of course, then I think I know it. And sometimes it gets me into trouble. But, um, you know, especially in this world of technology, I'm not afraid to push buttons and try things. I mean, I even did some coding on my website a couple of years ago, just a little piece because it was driving me insane. And I knew I could fix it. I've never done coding at all. I didn't even know that's what I was doing. I didn't know that was called coding. But I just copied and pasted it and figured it out. So I I, kind of like that about myself. (laughs) I like that about you too. Um, okay. So if we were going to rewind things and you had to choose a completely different career, you're not an attorney, Easy. which is your main career. What would you be? Easy. I, I'm an actress. I went, I was a theater major in college. I wanted to be an actress. That's it. Did right you pursue there. it at all? I was a theater major in college. And then about halfway through, I thought, I don't think I can make any money doing this. <laughs> So then I switched my major um, and I did, I've done community theater. Yeah. For a long, long time. And yes, I loved it and I still love it. But fortunately for me, my job where I get up and speak allows me to do what I love to do. And I also can be myself, which is the best part because I write all my own lines and, you know, I get to be myself. (laughs) I, I love that. I was actually going to say, it would seem that that is actually good background for your real career. So yeah, kind of tied in a little bit. Okay. So what is your secret talent or something that people would be surprised to learn about you? I, I don't know that I have a secret talent. I'm kind of an open book. I will say that speaking of books, the thing that I think I do best in my books, oh, I brought my new one too, is, oh, um, is write dialogue. I'm, I, I, I'm a good dialogue writer, which is yeah. weird because like, right, who needs dialogue? But see, my new book. Um, and, and the only reason I bring that up is because it's called 12 Conversations. And it's the conversations that you need to have about caregiving and long-term care. But each book has a lot of dialogue in it about what you would actually be saying to your mom, your dad, your doctor, your lawyer, your financial advisor, right? So it's kind of a weird skill that I have. I love it. And um, a nice little compliment. And again, my mom popped in and said, Kathy, you're amazing. She's loved this podcast. So, um, and I have read a chapter of Kathy's book. She guess she sent me a sneak peek and it's, she is a very good writer. So if you are in a position with um, 
really anybody should read it because at some point we're all going to have to deal with this. So really, really, and it's enjoyable to read too. Let me put it that way. All right. Last question. So who is somebody that you have connected with on, I'll just put it on social media or maybe a podcast that you follow that you would most like to meet in real life and sit down and have a conversation with? You know, I, I've been so fortunate. I have connected with so many people. That's how we found each other because you posted a picture about your son's wedding, right? Yes. That's really why we connected because my daughter's wedding was two weeks later and there was something in that post that just got me. And I said, we have so much in common, but that's how I connected with you. So I love the humanity of connecting with people through social media. Um, and there's sure there's lots of famous people that it would be fun to talk to. Like I really love Glennon Doyle. I think she's so fun and so interesting and, and it would be very cool to meet her, but there's tons of people like that. But what I really love about social media is that I get to meet people like you and me, right? And we really do connect and talk to each other. And I've built some really amazing long-term relationships um through that so yeah. I, i'm not going to pick somebody <laughs> well you know what you're you are off the hook on that one because i agree with you um that has been that for me that has been the biggest blessing of the pandemic and work from home was the embracing of video calls because i have like you have made some very deep real and meaningful connections with people across the country that i probably wouldn't have otherwise Exactly. And it's been wonderful. And I can tell um, for anybody that does or doesn't care, Kathy and I are going to be fast friends because we have so much in common. But and I look forward to collaborating with her on future projects that we have talked about. But if anybody wants to know more, where would the, what would be the best way for them to connect with you? Oh, definitely. You can. My email is kathysikorsky.com. C-A-T-H-Y. I think it's down there. Didn't, didn't, yep. you know, yep. Just kathysikorsky.com. Um, you can go to my website, www.kathysikorsky.com. If you do backslash speaker, backslash speaker, um, you'll see my speaking engagements. And if you are interested in having me come speak for your organization, that would be wonderful. Um, and you can contact me through my website as well. Uh, but sure, send me an email. I would love to talk with you. And LinkedIn, obviously. Duh. Obviously LinkedIn. 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 So, Connect with me on LinkedIn. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Kathy. I'm glad that we were able to find a way to get it done. I knew we would. That's just how we're, that's just how we're wired, right? Absolutely. So thank you. And um, to everyone out there, um, make it a great day. And I'll see you next week. Thanks, Nancy. Thank you.